0: This is Geek Gab with your host, Daddy Warpig. I am back. Geek Gab for Saturday, July 29th, 2017. This is episode 109 Making Great Stories in Role Playing Games, Video Games, and Fiction. Now, just to let you folks know, my fellow hosts. One of them had, had to beg off for today, and so a couple of days ago, he you know, notified us he wouldn't be here. We said, oh, okay, that's fine. That's cool. We understand that you have things that are more important to do than one of the most groundbreaking podcasts in the history of history itself. So he is out. He's gone. And then the bad news, my other co-host, Brian Niemeyer, promised to be here committed to be here almost signed a contract in blood promising he was going to be here almost and as we were counting down to the lunch of the show he has nonetheless regrettably persisted in his absence so today's show is all about me fortunately i have a topic with a lot to talk about and uh occasionally when i need to pause to take a sip of water the uh, fan in the background will keep you entertained while i allow my uh throat to be moistened so today today we're talking about great stories in role-playing games video games and fiction so I want to start with a simple contention. Many, many, many people have said that role-playing games are about storytelling. They're about sitting down at a table with your friends and telling a story. These people are wrong. These people are completely wrong. These people are 100% wrong. These people could not physically be more wrong unless you loaded them on a spacecraft of wrongness and shot them out to the galaxy of being completely incorrect. Nothing about what they're saying is right. Storytelling is not, does not have anything to do with role-playing games, and I'm talking traditional role-playing games where you sit down at a table and you have a game master who's in charge of adjudicating things, and you have a bunch of players who tell the game master what they're going to do. Now, you may know that I've been writing, because I've mentioned it on the show a couple of times, not a lot, because I don't want to talk about it until I have something concrete to ship to alpha testers or commenters, whoever, but I am writing my own role-playing game, and as part of that, I have been diligently attempting to flesh out the, not just the rules, but also the theory, the concepts, the overarching design philosophy behind the rules. That is refining what I think a role-playing game is, and what I think a role-playing game ought to be. So before I tell you why these people are completely wrong, I'm going to read to you a small excerpt from the beginning of the rulebook, or at least what I intend to be an excerpt from the beginning of the rulebook. So this is a heading and a paragraph. It starts off with this. What is the point of a role-playing game? Role-playing games are about overcoming obstacles in an imaginary world. That's the definition of them. And that may seem a little bit odd to you, but let me explain. It's a game, so there are obstacles that one has to overcome. One makes a plan and carries it out, and success or failure is never guaranteed because it's a game. This occurs in the context of imaginary world. The Game Master describes what is there and what is happening, and the players describe what they do in response. And like reading a book or listening to an audiobook, both use their imaginations to envision what's going on. Here's a quick example. The Game Master says, the room is dark and thick, smoky incense hangs in the air. Tapestries hang from every wall, and you can see a half dozen people lying on the many pillows, scattered about the floor. They are apparently unconscious, or at least insensate. Several long pipes lie scattered about, and there is a hookah in the center of the room. In one corner, a brazier has fallen over, and glowing coals have spilled out. They have lit a tapestry on fire, and the bright yellow flames are rapidly spreading. What do you do? This right here is the core cycle of all role-playing. The GM, the Game Master, describes the situation and asks the players what they do. The players tell the GM what their characters do, and he uses his personal knowledge, common sense, and even the rules to decide what happens. Sometimes he may even ask for the players to roll the dice. Then he describes what happens as a result of the player's actions and asks them what they do in response. Step one, the GM describes. Step two, the players say what their characters do. Step three, the GM decides what happens as a result, then describes what happened. Step four, what do you do now? This is the core cycle of play in a role-playing game. Every single other world in this word, in this rule book, exists to help make this happen. So. Role-playing games are all about overcoming obstacles in an imaginary world. Now, why does this not involve storytelling? Well, let me read to you three quick definitions of storytelling, and we'll see which one of them might apply to role-playing games. Now, the first one is literally getting up in front of an audience and reciting a story. You could tell people about Jack the giant killer, or you could tell people about Conan the barbarian, or about Luke Skywalker, about anything else, but there is the storyteller and he is reciting a story to an audience. Does this cover role playing? Does this describe role playing at all? No, it has nothing to do with role playing games because there is no interaction between the storyteller and the audience. The audience doesn't get to interrupt and tell the storyteller what characters are doing. He's the storyteller. It's his story. He tells it. So that type of storytelling is absolutely inapplicable, does not apply to role-playing games. Let's go to number two. Crafting a work of fiction, like a novel, a play, a comic book, and so forth when a writer sits down and writes out a bunch of different words to relate to the audience the story. Now, in movies, those words get given to a director who, and who casts parts and who films it, and so on and so forth. And in comic books, the script goes to various artists and inkers and colorers and letterers and so forth. But again, this is entirely a one-way process from the author to the audience. The audience doesn't get to pick what characters do, except in the rare exper- uh, exception, and I know there are smartasses listening to this or are going to bring this up, of choose-your-own-adventure stories, but even in those stories, your choices are very constrained and they are pre-written. They do not get adjusted on the fly. So, do role-playing games apply or fall under that second definition of storytelling? Obviously not. has absolutely nothing to do with role-playing games. So, let's skip to definition three. Retrospective sense-making. I apologize, that's a bit of jargon. It's a bit of jargon from... My days in college, I actually got a degree in stuff like this, retrospective sense-making is when we craft a narrative out of the random chaotic and various events of our lives. For example, you show up to work late and your back is thrown out. Now, there's a lot of things that may have happened that morning, a lot of things which do or do not apply. But people ask you, hey, why is your back thrown out? And you, why are you late? And you take from all of the many events that happened that morning, you discard the ones that seem irrelevant, like the fact that maybe your daughter didn't say hi really cheerfully and you're kind of wondered if something's wrong. It's irrelevant to this story, so you discard it. And you pick out of all of these events what seems to make sense as a narrative. Man, I forgot to set my alarm last night, so I I got up late, and when I went to get coffee, we didn't have any coffee, so I was feeling really, really groggy. I got in my car, I was driving on the road, and some jackass left this huge chunk of metal, and I didn't see it because, you know, I had a headache, and I ran over it, and it popped my tire, and I kind of had to jerk off the road, and I bumped my head on the steering wheel as I was trying to brake, and then I had to, you know, I had to get AAA to come out, and they had to tow my car, and, and then I had to get a, a replacement car, and then I had to come work. Man, it has been the crappiest morning you don't even know. That is retrospective sense-making. You're looking at the past, and you are making sense. You're assembling a narrative, a series of A happened because A happened, B happened because B happened, C happened, to explain your current state. We do it all the time. We select elements that are pertinent or not pertinent to our story to craft a narrative that other people can understand. So. Does retrospective sense-making apply to role-playing games? Not really. Not during play. During play, the game master is saying what's happening. He describes the situation in the world, and the players describe what their characters do in response. Retrospective sense-making, role-playing, is not an exercise in retrospective sense-making. Now, a year later, or 10 years later, You can sit down and condense the events of a specific session, and you can describe to other people what happened, and you will use retrospective sense-making to assemble a story that other people can consume. That is storytelling, but that is not happening during the play of the game. That happens a week later, a month later. A year later, ten years later. It happens after everything is over. So there is no definition of storytelling that matches what actually happens in a role-playing game. Role-playing games have nothing to do with storytelling, period, full stop, carriage return, new paragraph. Now, you may wonder what exactly it is that role-playing games, why people talk about story in role-playing games. It's because there, are, there aren't very many things that are similar to sitting down at a tabletop and doing a role-playing game. There aren't very many things that are like that, so you have to use an analogy to explain that to other people so they know kind of what you're doing, so they can kind of get a sense of what you're doing. And then, hopefully, they decide to start playing, and then they'll pick up what's really going on after that. This has led a lot of people to be very, very distracted by the term storytelling and to want to go into role-playing games and remake them over to make them into storytelling exercises, which does not, I'll I'll be perfectly blunt here, it ruins the role-playing game, or at the very least, it changes the role-playing game from being an exercise in role-playing to being, being an exercise in mutual fiction creation now there is an actual hobby it's called simming and people have done this for decades going all the way back to the early years of the internet um earliest examples i've heard from 1990s but it may have been before then and you have people who will success successively post let us post one after another paragraphs describing what's happening in the story and sometimes simmers use Role-playing game rules like Shadowrun or whatever to adjudicate things, but it's not role-playing. So, beginning in the year 2000 or so, you had a massive invasion of people who not only were pushing role-playing, pushing story games, but they were pushing story games as the one and only perfect and pure future of the entire hobby, and saying and claiming that every game had to be a story game. That is, every game had to turn everyone at the table, both players and game masters, into game masters. So that players had the authority to narrate the world as if they were a game master, so that players had equal authority and no one was really in charge at the table. And so basically they were simming, right? That's what they were doing. This was a disaster for role-playing games because simming and role-playing are two different things. Storytelling and role-playing are two different things. And so it spread really far, and then there was a lot of pushback um, emanating from the RPG site and uh, specifically the RPG pundit against story games and pushing us back towards the actual role-playing. Now, there are a lot of people who like story games. They like simming, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with people doing that at their table. But they are not role-playing games, and the people are not role-playing when you're engaging in simming. It's very important to get that clear because things get confused. People get confused about what's going on, and then they decide that they need to apply some of the tropes of, role, uh, of stories or novels or movies or comics to role-playing games, and they make a hash of it. Because they're trying to force role-playing games to be something that they're not meant to be because role-playing games are not storytelling. So if you... there is one sense in which people say that role-playing games are like storytelling that we haven't covered yet, and that is of course railroading. Okay, I'm sorry sorry. I know that's a pejorative term, and I use the pejorative term because I feel hostile to this style of play. That doesn't mean it can't be fun, but it's kind of, it's constraining, and it's obnoxious, and it takes away player agency. And you know what railroading is, right? When the game master has predetermined the series of events that are going to occur in his quote-unquote story, and you as players kind of role-play in one given scene or encounter, but... When you move on, there is one way to go, and this one thing is going to happen, and by gum and by golly, this NPC is going to get murdered, because that's important for the story, and that is the way things are going to occur. Now, railroading was invented so that game masters could tell a story. It was invented Precisely because people thought role-playing games are storytelling. And I, as a game master, am here to tell a story. To give to the players a sequence of events that will make a satisfying tale. Do not do this. Railroading is bad. It undermines and destroys the very essence of role-playing which is you as a game master describe what the situation is, what the surroundings are, what events are going on, things like that, ambiance, smells, sights, whatever, enough to give the players a concise feel for the scene. Then the players decide what their characters will do. Period. Do not in the interests of telling stories force the players to make choices so they conform to your story. Now, a lot of people, this is a little bit of an aside, a lot of people have taken that way, way too far to say that things like a charm spell or whatever are bad because they take away player agency. I disagree. That can get kind of cans of wormy. The fact is certain things that happen in a game world will take away player agency, but you're doing it because those items, those spells, those miracles, those psychic abilities, whatever they are, have specific effects, and those specific effects mean you've taken the character out of play. It's no more different than knocking them unconscious or killing them. Those things can happen. Don't change your entire game world to eliminate, for example, psychic domination. You'd ruin a lot of cool stuff if you do that, just know that players have access to those same abilities those same tools so player agency is the core of role-playing games railroading in the interests of story takes away that player agency it ruins the point of the role-playing game game masters describe the situation players decide what their characters are going to do players can make suggestions to the game master, hey, maybe this could happen or maybe that could happen, but game masters have the final say. Is there a shotgun behind the bar? Is the newspaper man hiding a deep dark secret about embezzling money? Is the mayor, secretly a reptiloid alien, engaged in a vast conspiracy to take over planet Earth? The game master makes those decisions When the players have the ability to make those decisions, it destroys the central cycle of play. So, because role-playing is not storytelling, you don't have to apply the rules of storytelling to a role-playing game. You don't have to force the events to conform to the three-act structure or Shakespeare's five-act structure or a a seven-point plot structure or anything else do not try to shape the game to fit the constraints of fiction. That is not writing a book, writing a short story, writing a movie, writing a play, writing a comic book. None of those things are role-playing. Do not try to force role-playing to conform to the constraints of those art forms. Allow role-playing to be what it is and what it is intended to be. There is, by the way. Now this original question that, that sparked today's show was brought to me by Daniel Koolbeck, um, who I know through Twitter and who was also in one of the superversive live streams. really cool guy. Uh, I've been promising to get to this to this question for months and we just have not been able to until today because there was a break today, all the movies that have been released, uh, there were none this week that I wanted to see. I technically could have gone and seen the Emoji Movie, but I knew I'd hate it, I knew it was garbage, and frankly, I had better things to do with those two hours of my time. So, I did not go to see the Emoji Movie, I will not go to see the Emoji Movie, I will not be reviewing it on the show. That is why, We had free time this week, and why I decided to dredge this this subject out, because I'd been doing some uh, writing on it for the rulebook anyway, that's why we got around to this. His original question was this, I've got a topic I'd like to hear covered in an upcoming Gab, storytelling in games versus fiction. Now, he didn't specify... necessarily where he meant video games, except to say this. I was thinking of my all-time favorite video game plot twist and how, in my opinion, it actually impedes the game Quagate. I was more interested in talking about role-playing games than video games, but there is a link between the two, which link I will explore right now. Let's take Modern Warfare as an example of a first-person shooter. Within the scene of modern warfare, you as a player have a lot of freedom, not ultimate freedom, but a lot of freedom about how to approach uh, how to approach the scene, how to approach the tactical situation, how to fight the enemies, where to go, what weapons to use, so on and so forth. But you have no control over what scene happens next. Whatever scene is scheduled to happen next will happen next, and that's just the way the role-playing games go. Because the play cycle of a role-playing game, the point, or the play cycle of a video game is completely different from the play cycle of a role-playing game. And you can constrain player actions down until we get to, Things like, oh, that old, old animated game that Don Bluth animated with uh, the kind of wimpy knight and this hot chick who had been kidnapped by a dragon. Um, Dragon's Lair? Is that right? Do I have that name right? Dragon's Lair. I think I've got that name right. To where your entire goal as a player was just to twitch when the game told you to twitch and twitch in the right direction when the game told you to twitch so that you would move and trigger the next action of the character so that has virtually no player agency at all it's just you learning to do the things that they wanted you to do but as time has gone on it's opened up until the point where we have you know open world games where there is sort of a scene a series of Events that are going to happen in the quote-unquote main quest line, and I'm thinking here of the the example of an open-world role-playing game, computer role-playing game, which is your Fallout Three, your um, Elder Scrolls series, and so forth. Bethesda, basically. And there is a main quest line with a series of events that you don't have real control over, but You can ignore that quest line to your heart's content. You can walk away from the main quest line and just wander the world doing whatever the heck you want, following quests or not, as you choose. And you don't have to pay attention to it. This approaches, in some small extent, the versatility of a tabletop role-playing game, but it still cannot equal it. Computer RPGs, computer RPGs cannot now and will not ever be able to be as flexible as a tabletop RPG until they turn into something where a GM can run it instead of the programmers running it. So that's the difference between or a key difference between one difference between role-playing games and video games. If, and video games themselves even are not quite storytelling because the story requires player interaction to continue. And even in Dragon's Lair, where you're so heavily constrained, if you miss an action, you die and the story ends. It's still not the same thing as any one of the three examples of storytelling, although it gets a lot closer than anything else. So you need, I'm going to describe something now, as far as role-playing games go. If there's no such thing as story, what is it that game masters can do when they're designing an adventure to, give players the maximum degree of autonomy, while at the same time having a series of events that are beyond their control that will impact them in specific ways. And I'm going to use an analogy to dungeon crawling. Dungeon crawling happens in a dungeons, which is a series of rooms linked by corridors, stairs, secret doors, whatever. Individual rooms are described in the module typically. And they have typically different encounters. I'm simplifying greatly. I know you can pick this apart. Don't. Just listen to what I'm saying before you try to jump in and start arguing at this point. So one room might have a pool with a water weird in it. And the next room might not have much of anything except for a bunch of copper coins that are heavily scabbed over or heavily tarnished and stuck to the floor. Um, And the next room might have... You know, 2D10 rats that are uh, starving and were locked in and are trying, and as soon as you open the door, they try to get out. You can move from one encounter to the next. Generally speaking, in most, in most normal circumstances, it's your choice where to go. So, if you as a game master want to eschew story, Think of the dungeon. Players' actions in one specific room have consequences for an entire complex or an entire level. Let's say you have a group of goblins and a group of kobolds, and they've been fighting each other for control of this cavern complex. And the players come in and they kill all the goblins. That's their action. That's what they chose to do in response to the situation. So the kobolds now all of a sudden They can control the entire complex, and the next time the players come in, they find that the dungeon has not been, quote-unquote, cleared out, but the kobolds now are in charge. The kobolds now have taken over. So, players' actions have consequences. Your job as a game master is to figure out what those consequences are and apply them to the game. So here is one suggestion of one way to approach a game with a little bit of structure that is not a storytelling exercise and is not a plot and is not a railroad. Assume there's a series of actions that have taken place ahead of time. Some individual plotted to murder a college professor and so He contacted a hitman. The hitman went to the professor's house and cacked him. The players, for whatever reason, are interested in finding out who killed this professor. So they go to the professor's house. Now at the professor's house, you as a wily game master have included clues for the players to find and we're not going to talk about the game mechanics of clues, because I talked about that on a earlier Geek Gab on uh, Geek Gab game night. So I'm not going to talk about specific mechanics at this point, just a, an adventure structure. You've included clues to places the players can go to try and investigate what's happened, why this has happened to this professor. Clues about what killed him and how. Clues about um him having problems at the bank and getting an unexpected infusion of cash cash clues which point to maybe the killer clues which maybe point to the professor's office clues which maybe point to a bank the players have complete autonomy in this scene and in fact have complete autonomy if they want to they can just walk away from this scene walk away from the adventure and whatever consequences happen as a result of that you can adjudicate oh So the person who killed this professor, they were actually a cult who was summoning an elder god. So if the players just walk away, whether they knew it or not, the elder god comes, that's it. You can do that. That's your choice to apply the consequences of the player's actions. But let's presume the players want to continue investigating. There are now at least three and maybe more, depending on what the players come up with. They can decide, oh, wait, what we really need to do is go and talk to the local police. Or what we really need to do is go and talk to uh, the local city hall and get uh, traffic cameras so we can see who was driving near the professor's house, if they caught any of it on camera. Allow the players to use their creativity to decide where they're going to go. But at the same time, you can prepare ahead of time more situations. Like if they go to the professor's office that night, They will find somebody there rifling through the professor's things. And it's either the person who hired the killer, or it's a flunky of the person who hired the killer. But if they don't go to the professor's office tonight, and they go to the professor's office tomorrow, somebody broke in and stole something, and the players don't know what it was, but they may be able to find clues which lead them to understand what it was. So this is not a railroad. This is not storytelling because you are maintaining the player's autonomy to make choices. All you are doing as a game master is deciding what the consequences of those choices are and applying them and letting the players decide where they want to go next. And I'm using that as an analogy to the dungeon because each new encounter, each new place they go is akin to or like a room in the dungeon, okay? They have prepared, pre-planned ways to link one location to another, clues which point from one location to another, but the important thing is you can have all that planned out, and that's fine. If that's what you want to do as a game master, if you like being able to lean on that structure, on that pre-planning, go for it. Knock yourself out. Do what you think is best for your gaming group, for your play style. But give the players as much latitude as you can. Allow the players to make the choices as to how to move from one encounter to the next or one scene to the next. And allow them to choose what they do in each scene. It's your job to apply consequences. To decide what happens as a result. It's not your job to tell them what they do, or to lead them around by the nose. Let them make the decisions. That's where the challenge of the game comes from. There are obstacles. They have to figure out how to overcome those obstacles. That's where the game exists. So storytelling, in terms of making fiction, is not the same thing as playing a role-playing game. And the quote unquote plot in a video game isn't the same thing as storytelling, but there are a couple of similarities. And even if you're against railroading and even if you're against story in role playing games, you can still prepare ahead of time a list of encounters based on what your bad guy is doing and set up the adventure. Just remember while you're playing, not to force players to do what you think they should. Not to force them along a path from A to B and B to C and C to D. Allow them the opportunity to make their choices because that is the core of what it means to play a role-playing game. So. What I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to uh, scan through the chat. The chat has been going on, by the way, while I've been doing this uh, monologue, and I uh, I'm going to see if there are any questions or comments that I need to address before we um, before I take off. Uh, no, 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 no. A lot of good comments here. None of them are questions. I really need to I really need to touch. Okay. Uh, um, we're done for today we've gone uh, over we've gone a little bit over our normal time uh, i want to say thank you to everybody who showed up thank you for the opportunity to discuss this issue on the floor on the show something i've wanted to touch on for a long time and i hope daniel uh, appreciates the discussion i hope we answered uh, at least partially answered the question that he was asking this is GeekGab. you can find us on youtube at youtube.com geekgab. Or if you do a search for Geek Gab on the Apple iTunes Store, on the Google Play Store, or on SoundCloud, you can find us and subscribe to us. We have a podcast of this show that goes out. You can listen to it whenever you want to. Download it to your iDevice or your Android device, or uh, just play it in your car. Play it on the laptop, whatever you want. We do this show approximately once a week. Usually about the same day, usually about the same time. We also have Geek Gab on the Books, our irregular show about role-playing, and we are excuse me, our regular, our regularly scheduled show about publishing, writing books, and the art of publishing. And we also have Geek Gab Game Night, which is our irregular show about role-playing. Those are the three shows currently that we have in the Geek Gab Podcasting Network. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh go ahead, subscribe to the show. You'll get all the announcements about when we've got a show going live or when we schedule so you don't miss anything. And be sure to double secret subscribe. That is, once you click subscribe here on YouTube, there's a little bell icon you can click to actually receive the notifications in the email. If you don't double secret subscribe, you won't get any information and you will be uh, you'll regret it. Bitterly, you will find yourself sitting in front of a mirror, weeping silently to yourself, saying, Why, why, why did I not double secret subscribe? I missed the opportunity to participate with the unusually intelligent and attractive members of the Geek Gab audience who come to the show and listen live and ask questions and have discussions. I wish. I had been involved in those discussions. If only I had double secret subscribed, I could have been involved. I wish, I, your host, wish to save you from that pain. I wish to save you from that anguish. And all you need to do is double secret subscribe, and you are set. You are ready to go. So thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, I, your host am saying goodbye for this week. We're leaving. We're turning off the podcast. We are going to parts elsewhere. Technically speaking, I'm going to go play a Star Wars role-playing game. So I am where we're gone, folks. I'm sorry. We're leaving right now. But don't worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.